Hey, hey, welcome to the Growing Up Rock Podcast. This is Stephen Michael. This is Sonny Pooney. How's it going, Stephen? What's going on, Sonny? Just hanging in there, just hanging in there. Sounds like uh, you had some fun in Nashville. I did. I had a good time in Nashville. It sounds like you've been busy uh, um, being Gene Simmons' best friend. Is that true? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So so tell me all about, so you ordered the in-house thing and spent uh, 60 grand on uh, him coming to your house and having dinner with you. Is that correct? Uh, I would if I would have won the lottery. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would, I would make him, if he comes spend two hours with us, he's going to end up on growing up rock podcast because he's supposed to do whatever I want him to do. But uh, no, no, no. I did the vault experience. You know, it's, you know, some people spend, that kind of money on you know monsters rock cruise or the kiss cruise and and this year um you know i kind of decided i'm like man i'm not i'm probably not going to get an up another opportunity like this and i really do want the music and uh you know my me and my brother and i don't get to do a ton of things together so it's kind of a cool thing for us to do and uh think about this maybe you probably haven't thought about this there's Van Halen stuff on that box set. So kissing Van Halen, growing up rocks all over that thing. Dude, you know I've thought about that. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I wouldn't be being me if I hadn't have thought about it. I've already booked a flight out to Sonny's house and got my recorder to, to rip some stuff. Come on, man. I'm going to be out <laughs> in your bushes when, when, uh, when you come home with that thing. <laughs> yeah i'm i'm curious to hear some of that stuff man i mean i don't know you know i i just don't know what to expect out of that that material that's on there you know who knows yeah i kind of look at it as it's a it's a time capsule right it's it's 50 years of his thoughts maybe the the art that he was feeling at that time the feelings he was feeling at that time for all we know there's songs about Cher there's songs about Diana Ross there's like we don't have a clue yeah uh, didn't they play on uh didn't Eddie and Alex originally record Christine 16 or something that's what i heard yeah uh, so that puts some Right, that puts them in the seventy-seven range because that was on Love Gun, right? So that means they would have had to known each other right before VH1 came out, obviously. Well, yeah, timing-wise, I mean, yeah. you know, if I follow the timeline and and uh, Renoff's book about that stuff and everything, that would be about the the time frame because they they got signed in in seventy-eight, I think, in uh, late seventy-seven, seventy-eight. First Van Halen came out in late seventy-eight, right? Yeah, what what would be interesting is, so did Eddie throw a solo down on that? And did Gene say, all right, Ace, need you to play this? And Ace is like, what? No no way. Yeah, so it'll be interesting <laughs> to hear that. Didn't, didn't um, uh, and I don't know if it was Christine 16, but didn't um, Eddie do a solo to one of those Kiss tunes and Ace ended up basically playing the same thing? I heard about or that. Or vice versa. I don't, I don't remember yeah. which it was, but... Um, no, I think it's, I think it's Eddie played it and then Ace played the same thing, but I don't know what song it was. Yeah, I I don't either. I'm not the historian when it comes to some of that stuff, but I know I've read in passing some of that, so should be interesting. I'm excited for you uh, and excited to get like some pictures and get your take on it and your review. Um, 
we'll definitely uh, take some get you to take some pictures and throw them up on the website and maybe maybe even do like a review. We'll do a review episode or or just do a review in general. You can write down some stuff and uh, we'll throw it out on the website for the listeners to uh, check out. Right? Yeah, definitely. We can definitely do an episode on it too. What I'm also hoping, and nobody's, including Gene, hasn't said anything about this, is that, okay, so there's the 150 songs. Um, Is he going to say a little blurb about each song? Like, would love to know, hey, this was written in 73. I was sitting at a deli in New York, wrote this little thing on a napkin, Came straight home, threw it on the studio, you know, that kind of thing. Well, doesn't it come with like a 150-page book or something like that? Yeah, but what they didn't say was that the book had anything to do with the songs because it made it sound like it was like pictures and memoirs and st- stuff. Yeah, so maybe if you're lucky, and this is what I would like to see, a book with pictures and then references to the song that kind of give the history, you know, a brief history of, of what each song is, you know? Yeah, that would be really cool. Because otherwise, you're right, you're not going to know, but I'm sure they, they've got to say, like, okay, this group of s- songs is from the Love Gun Sessions, or this group of songs I wrote with um, this guy. You know what I mean? Like, he's got to give some sort of reference uh, to this historical thing. They're not just going to throw a bunch of songs um, in a box set, and you're like, okay, <laughs> you know? yeah no that makes sense yeah but i'm looking forward to it yeah should be cool for sure yeah so um uh i spent um a week in tennessee in nashville as if i didn't get enough at the rock and pod expo i decided to go back to nashville um because my wife had business there and i thought i'd take advantage of it which was i'm glad i did i had a good time uh, I went to Nashville, uh, was fortunate enough to sit down with uh, Greg Mangus, uh, who you and I both met at the Rock and Pod Expo. He was uh, playing with uh, Sandy Gennaro and Scott Van Zandt in Desolation Angels. Um, he's also the guy that uh, was up for the ACDC job, one of the guys that was up for the ACDC job uh, back when um, they lost uh, Brian Johnson. Um, and he talks a little bit about that and um, uh, goes into some of his relationships with Robin Zander. And, you know, he shared the stage over the years. He shared the stage with so many people. Um, and even though he's not a household name and you don't know the name Greg Mangus, you definitely know some of the people that he has shared the stage with. So um, it's a pretty cool interview uh, and you get uh, some good stories and his growing up rock story and how he got into rock and everything. He's a, he's a good conversation piece. Yeah, after seeing uh, Desolation Angels, which is obviously the first time I'd ever seen him, the guy's definitely talented. There's no doubt. So it's like, okay, well, this guy's a natural. He's probably not making much money doing what he's doing. Then I get a chance to meet him the next day. The nicest guy. I mean, I you know, I was joking with you. I said hi to him, and then 14 minutes later, I got to talk again. Like his energy was crazy. Yeah. Um, and he don't know me, right? I just said hi, I'm Sonny. That was it. Right. That's all I said. And uh, so obviously, he's got the personality. So I'm very interested to hear his story because I. I want to know why he didn't make it. There had to have been some trials and tribulations that maybe 
put his career one way instead of the other. It's never happened for him at this point, you know, but he's not the only person with that kind of story, right? I mean, I've, I've known a lot of musicians over my lifetime and, and, uh, a lot of people have, and, you know, talented musicians, um, that just haven't broken loose. And nowadays it's, it's harder than it's ever been before, but it happens. So, uh, you know, you just have to respect the person, uh, and listen to the stories and Hey, it is what it is, but yeah, he's super talented guy, great singer. He sings with the rock and roll residency, which, uh, I'll get into, uh, in another episode. He, uh, he performed, um, uh, the night that I got to go see, uh, the rock and roll residency while I was in Nashville and performed a couple of Aerosmith tunes that were awesome. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that in an upcoming episode, but before we go any further and we get into this interview with Greg Mangus, uh, I want to do a little bit of house cleaning for growing up rock. And, and so, um, let's ask the lovely Samantha to tell our listeners a little bit about what they can help us with. Miss Samantha. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Thank you, thank you, the lovely Samantha. Sunny, sunny. <laughs> so, um... Before we get into the interview, I wanted to ask you something. So about when Brian Johnson was out of ACDC, you know, there's all kinds of questions about why he was out of ACDC, but we'll just call it a health issue. Sleaze Rocks came out with a top six possible replacements. Have you ever seen that? I have seen that. Yes, sir. Do you remember who the six were? I remember um, the six were... Um I think uh, Mark Storacci was one of them, right? Right. Um, Lizzie Hale was one of them. That's right. Was um, Trillo, Trillo, the guy from Accept, is is he one of them? Yep, Mark Trunillo. Yep. Uh, but yeah, he was one of them, the guy from Accept. Um, our friend Greg Mangus, who this interview is about. Right. And how many is Two that? Two others. Uh, let me think, let me think, let me think. I don't remember. So one was Airborne. Jolo Kiff. That's right. Kiff. Yep. And then the last one was Rob Halford. Uh, that's right. Because Rob Halford actually, um, did he fill in for somebody in ACDC? He filled in for somebody in Sabbath, didn't he? Yeah, it was Sabbath. Yeah, was okay. Sabbath. But I think they were worried about getting sued. So some were saying you need to get somebody that people know, which yeah. obviously they ended up doing. Yep. So you would have to refund either half the ticket or whatever. And then some were saying you need to go get somebody like Greg Mangus because he could last the next 10 or 15 years. Otherwise, what are you going to do after you're done with the tour? Which right now, nobody knows what they're doing. Right. <laughs> well, I, I'd heard rumors that they're actually working on a new record with Axel. I heard the same thing, but, uh, you know. So. The last, the last record uh, Axel did took how long? <laughs> Just yeah, but, saying out loud. But but he was in charge of that. He's not in charge of this. You know as well as I do. He's a he's gonna show up wherever the hell they tell him to show up. So yeah. I, and I, then you you mentioned Robert Zander. I mean, he was out there endorsing 
Greg yeah, to be the out. guy. Like he flat out on public radio and on YouTube, and he was really pushing for it. I, that's really cool for Robin to do. It was really cool, and it's out there for everybody to see on YouTube. And I don't, and I don't want to give too much of the interview away, but there were calls made and people talked to, but uh, it just didn't happen. And uh, it is what it is. So there you go. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So it's a good interview. Um, let's talk uh, to the listeners a little bit more about going and and giving us a, a review in iTunes, or even easier go on to our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and leave us a review. Uh, we're, we're trying to um, get feedback, and we're really, really thankful. The numbers have been growing each and every week, uh, and we're really uh, starting to make headway. People are starting to listen to the podcast. We're just at this point, all we want to know is what you like and what you don't like because we're just trying to improve. Uh, so, you know, go to our Facebook page, give us a like, give us a review, um, or go on to iTunes and give us a review that helps us out even more. But, uh, we're definitely looking for stuff like that. Uh, you agree, Sonny? Yeah, I totally agree. And if you've never done it on Facebook before, when you go to the page, all you have to do is on the right hand side, there's a, there's a link that says reviews. You just click on reviews and then you can click on how many stars you want and you just write it right there and hit send and bam, there's a review. So on Facebook, it's super, super easy to do. And, uh, you know, we've gotten some really positive feedback. And I will tell you the most um, consistent feedback that I get has to do with the ideas cool. You guys are doing different type of interviews. You guys are doing different type of podcasts, and it's nice to have something unique, which we totally appreciate. So, Yep, and we're always looking for ideas, too. If you've got a show idea that you want to see us uh, cover, by all means, let us know, message us, or put it out there on Facebook, and we'll, we'll pick it up and run with it. Um, a couple people I want to uh, call out. Uh, for sharing last week's Biter episode, Chris Sinzak, Andy LaFon, and our friend the Mooger Fugger. Mooger Fugger. Mooger Fugger went on and left us a, a five-star review at iTunes. Uh, uh, Sonny, how do you feel about that? Mooger Fugger was cool. We met him at the um, Rockin' Pod. Mrs. Mooger Fugger was cool, too. Let me tell you, Miss, uh, Mrs. Fugger was awesome. My wife really, really enjoyed meeting both um, Mr. and Mrs. Fugger. Um, my wife talked to them for quite some time, um, and uh, they were they were awesome. And uh, I'll read this uh, review. It's a quick, uh, short one, but it's straight to the point. And the Mooger Fugger says he, he loved meeting us at the first annual Rockin' Pod Expo. Uh, he says he's really loving the show and looks forward to many many more episodes best of luck cheers the mooger fugger short and sweet we like it thank you thank you mr fugger thank you fugger <laughs> <laughs> and rock on yeah cool you have- even even Sinzak says uh mooger fugger starts liking you you know you got nowhere to go but down because Fugger's the the height of everything that happens now all we got to do <laughs> is get billy hardaway to come on and and abuse us yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it's all good do you have anything you want to add before we uh get into uh this uh cool greg mangus uh interview no uh, just uh you know thank you for the support uh for from all the fans and uh keep listening keep your ear uh earphones on and i think you're going to hear some great interviews including the one that's coming up next keep those headphones turned up 
Bye. Hey, everybody. This is Greg Mangus, and you're listening to Stephen Michael and Growing Up Rock. Haven't we all? This is the Growing Up Rock podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Pooney. Welcome, Greg Mangus. Yes. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Rainy, but good. <laughs> the man with the plan in Nashville. All right. So, for our listeners, because probably a lot of our listeners um, aren't familiar with the name Greg Mangus, so right. we're going to see if we unfortunately can't, we're going to see if we can't try to change that a little bit because okay. um, some of the people that you've shared the stage with they will absolutely know. Um, and so you're well respected in the musical community of Nashville, which is a huge community. It's ridiculous how big it's getting. And it's not just about uh, uh, country music, which um, it's, you know, I mean, people don't realize just how much of a rock and roll community Nashville has become. And, and so many of the names and bands that we loved back in the late 70s and early 80s have, uh, of course, relocated to Nashville. Nashville. Um, and so we're going to kind of try to touch base on some of that. And They're all here. Everybody's here. Yeah, they are. I want to go back to the beginning with you, Greg. Okay. Um, I want to talk about like some of your um, earliest entries into music, meaning um, in your household growing up, um, how did you first get into music? Uh, I had two dads. I had a stepfather and, you know, my real father, both great guys. Couldn't be more different. My real dad was English and he, uh, like an English hillbilly, and he liked soul music. So I listened to, uh, through him, Ray Charles and Otis and Wilson Pickett, who was my favorite. And then my stepdad was from New Jersey and he liked Sinatra, Dean Martin, that kind of stuff. So I kind of got that from his side. The first thing I remember... I remember, two, well, two things about the same time when you're about 11, you know, 12 when the bug starts to bite. I saw a midnight special f f like film about Rod Stewart and he was doing Smiler, the album Smiler and he was singing a Sam Cooke song and I just remember the hair, the clothes, the girls, the music. He was in the studio and I thought, well, I don't know what that is, but that's bloody cool. <laughs> like That's really great. And then, and I'm not embarrassed to admit this, the song Come Sail Away, when Sticks dropped Grand Illusion 7777. That song was the first song that I ever stopped and went, okay, somebody like made that. Like that, it hit about the same time. That and, uh, and uh, that Christmas dad got me Destroyer, <laughs> Toys in the Attic, and Rod Stewart and I on the town and ruined my life. <laughs> you know, and, and this is what's so nuts. And, and I mean... I've I've recently interviewed probably four or five different people from completely different walks of life and for whatever reason and obviously it wasn't planned but for whatever reason they all have singled out um, Destroyer 
Yep, changed it's, my life. It's yep. crazy uh, how how that record. You know, it's like because that wasn't even really the record that broke them. I mean, I know Beth had a huge impact, but uh, they broke with with Alive. You know, and it's but people keep coming back to Destroyer, uh, and so I don't know. It just I, a it's side my favorite note. of all of theirs. And don't forget that. That Paul Lynn Christmas, Halloween special, not Christmas, Halloween special. I saw him, you know, and then they were doing like, this is for all us old guys, Don Kirshner's rock concert and uh, the Midnight Special. Like they would have those clips of Kiss and, and what is that, you know? And uh, that was one of the first things I got into. And so when you saw like the Rod Stewart and everything, r- roughly what age were you at at that point? 11 Okay. Or tw- probably 11 because it was Christmas when I was 12 that I got a night on the town. Okay. Yeah. And were your parents into music at all? Or? Uh, um, they listened to it, but nobody played. We have no, I don't know how I'm the I'm the guy. I heard a rumor that my grandmother made a record in London or Liverpool, but I, I never really knew the whole story right. about that. Yeah. So, so you just kind of got into music on your side. Any brothers or sisters? No. Nope. I'm just no. and no, and I have nobody now. Just I'm on my own. Okay. But, uh, well, I'm married and she's yeah. lovely. But um, you to 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 move it just a little forward, Van Halen had come out too, and I just knew about Van Halen before anybody else in Florida because I was in Clearwater Beach, Florida. I went to L.A. to visit a cousin, and there was that was they were the talk of the town. And I remember I heard Atomic Punk and thought, "What the is that?" So after seeing them, all my friends were going. And I had real long hair, and I could kind of sing. wasn't a bad-looking boy. And I thought, why don't I jump around? Well, hold on. I want to rewind because I don't want to get too far. Uh, I want to kind of find out how you got to this point. So, so you're discovering you're discovering this music. You're getting into it. Is there something at some point that turns on to you and you go, "Hey, I'm going to end up doing." music or I'm going to take a stab at music for my career. It, it came after it came a little bit later is right after high school. Like I said, I hate to jump ahead, but I got in a band that was touring funny enough did a show with cheap trick. And right before I joined that band, I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it for better or worse. You know? And so you end up in um, a bar band in Florida, in yeah. Clearwater, right? Yeah. Called Lefty. Lefty, right? That's right. And and about what year was that? What time frame? 83, 84. Okay. Now, that was an all-star band, too. You know, Johnny Lee Middleton, who played in Sabotage, and um, Trans-Siberian, and a guy named uh, Kenny McGee, who uh, was in Juliet band that was hot in LA for a while. And I remember Juliet. Good, good guys. All good guys. Lions. We were kids. We were boys on the road in a van. How, how long did you do the the club circuit in Florida? Uh, lefty, I was probably with them for about two and a half years. And it got to the point where we were either going to make it or it wasn't going to happen. And we just wanted different directions. I, I think I heard um, Addicted to Love. And I was like, I, that's what I want to do, like a metal funk, rock funk thing. Mm-hmm. And those guys went really glitzy, kind of glammy, sort of, you know, thing. And uh, and it just wasn't for me. And we split ways. And I can't remember if I quit or got fired. Depends on which one of us you talked to. <laughs> right. And I'm I'm sure you played some of the great clubs in Florida, like the Button South. Loved the Button South. I loved it, man. The trilogy for us was. Get ready, Florida. 49th Street Mining Company, 
Mark Twain's and Mr. T's Club 19. It was like a triangle. St. Pete, Tampa, Clearwater. And man, we had a good time. Did you guys ever play uh, um, uh, Sloppy Joe's down in the Keys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Played all the, we we did the whole Florida circuit and then we'd go up as far as about North Carolina, up to like Roadies and the Attic and the Saint and those sort of places. So at some point you leave uh, Florida and you head up to New York and this is where you start getting involved with uh, Cameo, right? Yeah, I had, I had signed a solo record deal not too long after Lefty. And I wanted to do like a Mother's Finest funk rock thing and uh, ended up signing to Atlanta Artist Polygram and moving to Manhattan, not to, in, in the village, going not too far from where Larry Blackman uh, lived and just uh, set out working for those guys for a couple of years. And uh, any, of the, any of the experiences um, in that that prepared you maybe for um, uh, your own personal career, was there anything that happened within that operation that kind of prepared you well, it's it's negative, if you don't mind me talking negative. And I would say this if Larry Blackman was sitting right here. He had kind of a thug guy working for him. And they sort of intimidated me out of a lot of publishing. I was a kid. I should have been a little smarter. Uh, at that time, BMI in New York was a great organization. They really helped me get a good attorney. And they really helped me kind of find my way. And uh, I sort of eventually stood up to those guys. I did a record. record never came out. It was a great record. It was like... Uh, like Andy Taylor's solo record meets funk, like Les Paul heavy funk. And uh, it kind of toughened me up a little bit when I realized that you can quote unquote not make it. Like I thought you send a tape in, you got a demo, and you got a demo, you send a tape in, you got a record deal. You got a record deal, you put a record out, you were famous. Because it had been like that pretty, not easy steps, but pretty logical steps. And then it didn't happen with the cameo. The record didn't come out. And I, I remember thinking, so it can not happen that was my first time you know when you had to take the bite of that bitter pill right yeah and that was your first wake-up call regarding that huh? my first wake-up call yeah and you talked about the albums and your experiences um in the bars and stuff like that but one thing we didn't really talk about was were there any bands um what were some of the first concerts you saw my first show ever was in this order on the on the lineup head east Rush, Bob Seger, and Kiss. Ah. Lakeland Civic Center, 77. And the funny thing is, I went to see Rush and Kiss, but it was Bob that really impressed me because I remember even as a boy going, he doesn't have any bombs. He doesn't have anything. He's got these great songs, a scratchy voice. These girls are screaming and yelling. Uh, that's, that's, that's not too bad. I kind of like that. Right. You know? Good records for sure. Is there any concert that stands out in your mind as being like um, one of the one of your favorite concerts? I, I, I'm seen? weird. I make lists. Best concert I've ever seen: the Rolling Stones "Tattoo You" with um, Van Halen opening wow. in Florida. Unbelievable. And then um, second best show I've ever seen: Prince. I was a huge Prince fan. Saw him here in Nashville. It was unbelievable. And then there's a tie: a band called Mother's Finest out of Atlanta who's one of the few bands I'm afraid of, still kicking. Still playing. Today. Still kicking arse. And Aerosmith in 1980, whatever the Back in the Saddle tour was, before they had their big deal and their big comeback, they were going to break up. Something happened. I think Stephen took a swing at Tom, or Tom took a swing at Stephen, and they were going to break up. So they had a show in Rack, Rackford, Illinois. Cheap trick. So I went up, uh, met with Robin Zander. I was still in Lefty, and went and saw that Aerosmith show that was going to be the last one. And they came out and played, and this is who Joe and Brad, proper Aerosmith, 
and they were unbelievable. They were unbelievable, and they never looked back. You know, they just became great again. And you mentioned Robin Zander, and Robin Zander, of course, it's it's out there and it's on video where where uh, you played a gig um, as part of the Rock and Roll Residency. Yeah, the Rock and Roll Residency. Um, and he came out and said, you know, hey this is the guy for the ACDC job and uh, it's out there on YouTube. But uh, my question to you is um, how do you and Robin Zander become friends? Because obviously on that video, you guys know each other before that. We, uh, it was my first big show. I can't remember if we did one or a couple with them at Tampa Highlight uh, playing with Robin Zander. And then uh, Robin married a lovely Clearwater, Florida girl, Pam. Uh, and, uh, I had kind of run in the same circles as his wife's. Like I knew some of the girls that his wife ran with. She uh, she knew a lot of the girls that I knew, and and uh, they were you know would come around lefty, and so we knew then. And then Cheap Trick would come into my life every seven years. Like I wrote with a lovely, lovely girl named Jana Allen, who was Sarah Allen's sister, who wrote some great Hall and Oates hits and great uh, Cheap Trick songs, and. Uh, uh, Tom was uh, was uh, very close to her for a while, and and Sarah Allen is of course the song that Sarah Smiles yeah. is about, yeah. right? So that was her sister. So there's this world where they would kind of cross paths with me, and then I was uh, at a bartending uh, at a hotel, and um, Robin came in, and we reconnected, and he came out to the residency and got up and sang, and when the ACDC thing popped its head up, he uh, he did that on stage, and ACDC saw it, and caught me by surprise i almost started crying i got a little choked up on stage because robin maybe now that freddie's gone robin may be the best out there like the best singer out there there's some incredible in this town Derek st holmes john karabi lizzie hale but robin may be the the best of all of them out there i and i don't want to go to the country thing with nashville but and he's not from nashville but i saw a singer the other night uh, when I was working some shows that I didn't know a whole lot about, but he's making a big noise and, and obviously doing quite well. Chris Stapleton. Well, I've got a lot of buddies who played on Chris's record and some of them that play with him now. And he's so good. He's funny thing is I saw him, I, I want to say the basement or the basement East a couple weeks before he did that TV show, maybe a couple months. And there were 30 people there. And then he did that show with JT and that yeah. guy can sing, man. He's unbelievable, and his wife is good, too. Him and his wife make a heck of a pair. And and they were both there, and they both put on this concert, and it's just something about... And I, I mean, again, this music isn't... This is left to center what I listen to, but emotionally, that music connected with the lyrics and the way he sang it, I was like... He's unbelievable, man. Way impressed. Yep. Uh, so that's cool. Um, so the... The rock and roll residency. How do you guys? How do you guys end up getting hooked up? Like, how do you end up with that? Whole so, uh, the rock and roll residency is the brainchild, the baby of Phil Schaus and Jeremy Asbrock, the Thunder Twins, who are currently with Gene Simmons, and uh, we play in a bunch of different bands together. But so it's we had a, we did a thing called Metal at Mercy at Mercy Lounge, where the big show is tonight, and we did you know Iron Maiden. I think I did the Dio. Uh, somebody else did Judas Priest and the, the uh, it was just unbelievable like it sold out people lost their minds we did two of them next one sold out and we had all been talking about doing something doing a night you know we did a night of Aerosmith one night and we did some other things and then 
Phil and Jer, I think, were at a place called Harp and Fiddle, lovely old Irish pub that's gone. And they talked to the owner and got hooked up and started it and had their core guys and um, and that was it. So it started, and when I mean it started, it was just a few, a handful, and then more rockers, and then more rockers. And then somebody would show up famous, or somebody would... One of the big ones was um, Alice Cooper came, because Chuck Garrick, who's a badass in his own with Bisto Blanco, Chuck Garrick was playing bass. So one time they hooked it up where Alice came out, and that got us some great press. And then more and more people came, and I saw Robin at the bar and invited Robin out, and he came out. And, and the other good thing is that people didn't bother him you know what I mean? Like people would say hello and want a picture, but it was a really cool vibe for a long time. And then it just grew and then uh, and then it just became kind of the thing. Like it's the rock thing in town. Yeah. And I mean, it just, you can go out there and you can look and, and just see the different videos and everything that are out there. But it just seems like people just come out in groves. And, and I'm sure there are some nights where, you know, nobody really shows up in terms of like, big rock stars or whatever, but I mean, uh, pretty consistently somebody is going to show up that you've heard of before. And funny enough, even if you haven't, the, the talent of the rock and roll residency, and I say this, like, looking, it's just humbling. Like right when you think, man, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. Somebody that you don't know will show up or, I mean, they've got these singers, Danilo Lopez, Chris can Dana Radford, like all these different singers that are just, unbelievable at what they do they do different things uh and greg mangus well i'd love (laughs) to put my name in that hat with those guys uh it's it's really really interesting because even if there's nobody quote-unquote famous it always kicks ass right it's it's i've never been where it's just like ah this is lame it's always great and this and the song thing you know ryan cook who you're going to be talking to who's a big part of the residency and plays with gene you know He'll come out and do like a golden earring song and just knock it out of the park or, 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 or do a, who did stuck in the middle with you? He, Steelers wheel. So he'll, he'll, he'll come out with stuff and just steal the night. You know, uh, uh, I mean, there's Hannah Fairlight, who's Jeremy's wife, just played Steely Dan last week. And I thought, took the show, played piano, sang, played saxophone. And that's the other thing is it, it is rock and roll, but it's not all like, it's not all like hard rock and, and metal, right? And it's like, it's pretty much 70s rock and roll. Yeah. And, uh, you know, tonight, huge show, Hurricane Relief, lots of rock stars. Um, they don't like to talk about what we're doing, but I'm, I'll do something pretty heavy and there'll be some heavy stuff in, uh, uh, in the, I think I'm the very last person tonight. So we'll do, we're kind of touching on Texas Jam 78 for this. So it'll be a lot of those acts. Right, which was Aerosmith, I think, headlined. There you go. Um, was Van Halen Van on that? Halen was on. Isn't that the one where they lost their equipment and they still showed up and kicked everybody right off the stage? It's either that one or it's one one that they um, quote unquote parachuted in. No, that was that was later. I, and I know Phil Schaus will know because Phil is a Van Halen fan. You ask Phil when you talk to him, he'll yeah, tell you which, which one it was. Which they didn't, of course, yeah, yeah. parachute in, yeah. but that was great. That was a great publicity stunt. Yeah. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. And tonight, of course, is the big uh, uh, three-city benefit broadcast um, where uh, you're doing a benefit for the Texas uh, hurricane victims. Roger that. Um, And it's uh, happening at the Whiskey A Go-Go in L.A. And where in New York? Do you know? Um, 
the cutting room, I think. The cutting room, that's yep. right. Which cutting. I played a bunch. You know, I'm in New York is my other hometown. That's yeah. right. The yeah. cutting room in New York and then, of course, uh, here at the Mercy Lounge in Nashville. Roger that. Which yeah. I just happened to be visiting this week. Which, good good timing. Yay. <laughs> all right, so going back to what else What else are you thinking about, like all this music stuff? Because there's, there's stories about how it really has been my life. You know, this stuff you were talking about, rock and roll has been the soundtrack, whether it's Rod, or you know, I was a huge Rush fan as a kid. Sticks as a little kid, and then all those other bands, and then the funk stuff. Prince, the time, Mother's Finest, right? Loved all that stuff. So, so we we know now how how you kind of ended up there, and you're just passionate about music. Um, but you kind of toe the line in between rock and and funk. So, given your choice, what what do you you know what do you if you came to me with a blank check and said, "I want to I'll be your sponsor," you know, put a band together, I would do very soulful rock like Bob Seger, uh, Faces, Humble Pie, organ, like real kind of boogie woogie rock with a hard edge to it but don't get me wrong i love singing acdc i love doing thin lizzie i love doing Dio. right we do deal with the residency sometimes and it's one of my favorite things so just straight up kind of i quote unquote sort of rock and roll which to me is like you know the stones or yeah. the crows or or uh like you mentioned the faces one of my favorite like bands that. ever yeah. uh and then last night um you dan know, baird I saw those guys without Dan Beard, and they were unbelievable. Yeah, Dan is a, a great, great guy, great talent. He went to bat for me one time, I probably don't even remember, with a band here called The Long Players, which are another incredible organization, and got me in on a Rod Stewart record, and it sort of sort of helped I don't, legitimize me. Do you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it sort of was like, oh, oh, he can sing this Rod Stewart stuff. He can do this sort of sort of thing. So I got a lot of love for Dan. You've done some session work here in Nashville, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you you want to tell us about that? Tell us about... I get called for like a, whenever they need the ACDC voice or the rock voice. Like I did some Titan stuff when you go to Titan Stadium and you hear like, stand up, get loud. You know, I'm doing that. And then I've done theme songs for uh, Still the King on CMT when they wanted like a rock thing. And I've done... Um, some sound video game soundtrack that's a just rock stuff and i wish i did more of it it pays well and it's a lot of fun (laughs) yeah so like uh more um almost in the tv world tv movie type stuff have you done any voiceover work no i'd love to and i'm and i'm up for anything like uh i love it i just let you have a really good time doing it and what's great thing is with those guys they can be in the control booth and they can say okay so we need this like uh steven tyler and they'll play it one time, and then I, I got it. Yeah. I spent years trying to sound like those guys. So <laughs> so in, in all of your many stage sharings, right, you've shared the stage with so many people. We've talked about it. Um, was there any uh, one in particular that stands out that was just like an amazing experience or a, or a wow moment for you? Uh uh, the guys from Deep Purple, Roger Glover and Don Airy, our close personal friends, uh, came out to the residency and we did a bunch of Deep Purple, but we did Highway Star. And to hit that note and then step back and have uh, Phil and Jer step up and do the twin solo, but when Don hit that on the keyboards, Phil and I looked at each other. I thought I was going to cry. <laughs> uh, the, the thing with Robin Zander, because I just, I love him. I respect him so much. For, to have him say that uh, 
was really just incredible. Got to sing with some ACDC with Lizzie Hale a couple months ago, and that was great. How's she? She is, uh, not only is she such a great singer, she was up for that ACDC thing I heard. Uh, real good look. Real cool, great stage presence. Really cool with all her fans. Like, that girl is going to be playing stadiums forever because she's just great and great to people. Well, and that's that's my question. I I would one day like to do a growing up rock with her and her brother at the same time because um, you know, it's it's her, it's her brother, and she seems to have she's she's so much younger than me, but she seems to have a real um passion for a lot of those late seventies, early eighties rock bands. I mean, you see videos of her doing the the Cinderella or the Dio or the stuff like that. So she seems to be um, faithfully passionate about that music. Like it's real. It's not just, oh, hey, let me put put on this show. Get, get her talking about Dio. You know, all singers are prickly when somebody sings a song they want to sing. And I love Heaven and Hell is my favorite hard rock album of all time, of all time. And, you know, they'll launch into it sometimes. Like, Who is singing... Oh, it's Lizzie. Okay. <laughs> and she just knocks it out of the park. So you love Heaven and Hell so much. So after Heaven and Hell, which, by the way, I think is an amazing album, after they follow up Heaven and Hell with um, Mob Rules, did you, was that a... Loved it. Okay, you loved, loved it as well. Loved, loved Mob Rules, but I mean, just that side one of Heaven and Hell is just unbelievable. My, and I like, a, for, for, for what's metal to me, because I never was a thrash guy, no disrespect, it's all great, but it was never my thing. It's uh, that album... Um, Hellbent for Leather, Judas Priest, and uh, Motley Crue 94, man, with John Karabi, with Krabby. That record, so far ahead of its time, so great. And I love that, you know, two of the other Motley Crue guys, when I talked to them, just hanging, they were like, that's my favorite record. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I saw I saw John Karabi uh, two or three weeks ago, and he doesn't know me. And I mean, we don't know each other, essentially. But I saw him backstage because I was back at a Dead Daisy show there to uh, interview uh, Marco Mendoza. And uh, What a character. Huh? Man, Mendoza's yeah. great. He just, he had some great stories and great stuff to say and uh, he was a cool interview but I saw John back there and I just I literally I wanted to go up and, and hug him and go I just need you to know how great of a record that is I know other people probably told you but I, I need to tell you the rock and roll residency guys two things on that um, were in his solo band and they did that whole record and it sold out he had a big club here Basement East great club and he was incredible, knocked it out of the park. And all those Dead Daisy guys, uh, Tishy and, and uh, Doug uh, and Marco, all came and played. I got to sing some Thin Lizzy with him. I got to do Mob Rules with Doug. Yeah, that's awesome. It's on YouTube. And uh, just great guys, man. Just really, really cool. That's very cool. Yeah, they seem like a, a really hardworking, good bunch of guys. Krabby so. comes and sings with us all the time. And that... I think he's slated to show up tonight. He, he's just, speaking of humbling singers, he's a guy when you think you're really good, you see Crab and you're like, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lovely, lovely guy who also went to bat for me with the, uh, the ACDC thing. Yeah. They made some, some calls for me, so I got a lot of love for him too. So those were some cool uh, moments that you shared with some of those guys. Anything stand out as, as particularly um, a pain in the ass or a, a deer in the headlights moment with any of these folks? I, I don't, there's no one that's been really negative. Some of these kind of mid-level rock stars think that they're much bigger than they are, but maybe I'm just jealous. <laughs> um, 
but I, I really when it comes to the residency everybody's been pretty yeah pretty hip um yeah i'm just trying to think like i mean i assume if they're if they're willing to show up to something like this then they have to be sort of accepting of go with the flow yeah but look at look at like alice cooper one of the biggest rock stars in the world walked on stage with this band didn't say anything about monitors didn't hit it did a bunch of old like you know doors and beatles and then a couple of his songs and blew the roof off that's a professional walked on stage sang his ass off was funny the crowd loved him. He was great with people. I, I can't, you know, I can't think of. Uh, you'd have to find Brandy Goldsboro. Brandy is uh, the queen of rock and roll here in town, and we, she's a big part of the residency. She'll tell you. She's she'll tell you who was a pain in the ass. Is she? What does she do now? Oh, she does everything. She was the DJ at first, but now she's just really heavily involved, and she did good friends. With everybody just been around forever and lovely lovely rocker chick and she's she, not a musician though right no but her dad was bobby goldsboro okay great singer songwriter yeah yep. remember and uh is still is her dad i shouldn't say was her dad um yeah just nobody that i can think of i, th- I think sometimes you know i don't know it seems like the bigger they are the easier they are to work with and the more fun they have right when they come to the thing that's cool. So let's talk about the China Club in New York. So I get to New York, right? And the cameo thing doesn't work out. Okay. So I form a band or join a band. I form a band with Yossi Fine, greatest bass player in the world, Israeli guy living in New York. Damon Lescott, who uh, is here in town, but he was in New York. And Steve Wolf, who's done programming on every hit that's ever been done. Like, you know, so we're like this hot metal funk band. And we are sort of like Zeppelin meets Limp Biscuit. 10 years before any of that stuff, samples and everything, that we're the hot band in town playing at the China Club. uh, And it was the place where like when I met Rod uh, at a bar, Rod's like, come hang out at the China Club. And and it became my home away from home. And ask any old rocker that you talk to about the China Club. It was our clubhouse. And uh, I'd hang out with Kiss and Led Zeppelin and Billy Squire and Aerosmith and, and Rod and Kid Creole and the Coconuts, who I loved. And John Waite and I became pretty good buddies there. And just all these rockers, it was just where you'd, you'd hang out. You might do some illicit things here and there. I'm sure a lot of illicit things. A lot of illicit things, but it was, it was never really a problem. It was just fun. There were beautiful girls. The DJ was great and he played my cameo record. So it was always fun if I met somebody I idolized. When I met Rod, I said, oh, this is this is my record, you know, I wrote and they played Cameo and it just opened so many doors and it was so great because I, that's really where I got to hang out with. First time I met Paul Stanley, became good buddies with Jean Beauvoir. You should, if anybody out there doesn't know who Jean is, fine. Drums along the Mohawk. Oh, great guy. Yeah. Plasmatics, little Steven and the Disciples of Soul. He just put out a great record with uh, Mickey Free, um, uh, Beauvoir Free, great record. Because Mickey was a, but Mickey was in Crown of Thorns. He's a rock guitar player. Uh, I think black Native American, like cool look, great guitar player. He came and played with us a bunch. He's good out doing his thing. So anyway, just just became friends with all those guys, and you know would ride around with Jean Beauvoir, and we'd go pick up Paul Stanley and like drive to the China Club and. And I'd be on stage with you, with Beauvoir or Jimmy Page or, or uh, Eric Carr, God bless him, j- just jamming. And I thought, well, this is how it, this is how it is. Well, yeah. so you've you've shared the stage with some of those people that you just mentioned, but yet the Roger Glover and the and the Don Airy. Because I'm getting older, and yeah. I and I it just means, and I probably remember because yeah. I I may not remember a lot back then. Um, I know playing with Bobby Chenard and uh, some of the Billy Squire guys, Jeff Golub, another one who's gone, my favorite guitar player of all time, Jeff Golub, who was with Rod and yeah. Jeff for years. Um, I mean, Billy, for years, uh, playing with him at the China Club. Those are great nights, but I just, funny, I just kind of, 
I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I just kind of took it for granted. Like, oh, that's that's how like that's it, yeah. you know. And then when you lose that, when I lost it, when I turned away from rock and roll, or when I moved here and had a bad eight years, you know, it it I realized how precious it's fun. It's funny that I'm exactly singing the same stuff I started singing when I was 12. First thing I ever sang, my very first band ever, was Smoke on the Water. So it's funny how the full circle, full circle, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. No. Any uh, any stories you want to go into detail uh, with us about uh, as far as the China Club goes? I'll tell you a, a funny, embarrassing story. Okay. And if it gets too long, stop me. Um, I, I had long hair, real long hair. It's unbelievable because listening audience, I'm bald now. Long hair down on my face, curly blonde hair. And I couldn't get into the China Club, so I told the big Bobby, there's two two great security guys at the front. I told Bobby that I was Jeff Golub. And he goes, oh, you're Jeff Golub. I said, yeah, I play, play with Rod Stewart. He goes, oh, right this way and grab me by the arm, walk me through the crowd, down the stairs, into the VIP room, up to a couch. And there sits Billy Squire, Bobby Chenard, and Jeff Golub. <laughs> and he said, hey, Jeff, this guy says he's you. And I, I just put my head down. Like, I'm from Florida. I'm 19 or 20. I'm embarrassed. I'm broke. And I just told him, I said, let me just, don't, don't, you know, don't beat me up. Let me just leave. And he slaps me, kind of like your dad would. You know, and he goes, you're not in Florida anymore. Have a good time. And left me in the VIP room. So I go and bought Jeff a drink and apologized. And Bobby Chenard asked me if I needed a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And uh, we became friends. And I went that night and bought them, the security guys, coffee. I didn't know what they were, the espressos. I called them little coffee. And they were like, you buy us coffee? You'll never wait in line again. And I would go and there'd be 40 people in line. And he'd be like, hey, Florida come in that's uh, that was an embarrassing thing i remember being in the office and jimmy page saying do you, do, do you know new zeppelin and get up and singing with you know paul really? stanley and jimmy page and nile rogers who's another hero of mine and just so was there always a band at the china club there was on uh jam nights which i, I can't listeners you should remember wednesday or thursday and we played before them and then there'd be jam night i uh, know monday nights was like model night or whatever they called it you know so it was sort of a pre the rock and roll residency. Uh, not as not as well put together, and a lot more drugs. I would imagine. I can't neither. I can speak. You know, no way. Uh, it, I think the rock and roll residency is a little more organic. It's yeah. just a lot of mates, a lot of friends. Yeah. Um, and just kind of grew really out of just jamming. Right. And boom, 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 boom. Now it is what it is. Um, my favorite experience of all of all that was. Um, I went to a bar and ran into some guys from Rod's band who said, oh, we're going to go meet Rod for a drink. So I went and met Rod the same day I got my first gold record and gave him these. Uh, my dad had sent me these uh, or had brought back soccer magazines from London. This is way before the Internet and cell phones. So I gave him the soccer magazines and he goes, oh, come by to China Club for a drink. So I went with Scott Campbell Duncan, uh, my best friend. We're in New York, two young boys. When we were the new boys, young lads rolling through the streets. And we're at the China Club and, and Scott goes, oh, here comes your buddy Rod. Like kind of making fun of me. Rod comes up and cuffs me boom, on the head and goes, right, lads. Right up into the VIP room, hung out. Yeah, that was, the, and he was my absolute hero. And we became, I won't say friends, but we were with Rod a lot. We had some good times. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. What else you got? You ready to play the lightning Let's round? Let's do the lightning round, my friend. Let's do it. Fire away. I'm having a good time. The problem is, like most singers, I can sit here and talk all day. So yeah. Uh, it's all good. good. Let's play some lightning round. Okay. Let's, all right. Do you sing in the shower or the car? The car. What song do you sing? Vocal warm-ups, which, you know, or uh, whatever I'm learning. 
<laughs> like whatever I have to learn. Uh, for instance, I got an ACDC show next week. I got a lot of ACDC on the thing. I'm just singing ACDC so I don't have to look at words because my pet peeve is people who look at their phones when they're singing. So that's where you get your practice in. <laughs> yeah, it is where I get my practice in, yeah. So does a song ever come on the radio that you're like, oh yeah, and I got to sing this? So usually stuff I have no business trying to sing, like Queen. Yeah. <laughs> Queen or uh, or Sticks or something, and I'll just let it wail much to my wife's chagrin. So, so. I'm not going to I'm not gonna catch uh, Mangus in the car singing a Britney Spears tune. No, but you'll hear me sing Air Supply. <laughs> you really will. hear me okay. sing Air Supply and hear me sing uh, Old Whalen. I'm a big Whalen Jennings fan, so you'll hear me try to do country. All right. Awesome. If you could be in any band, what band would you be in and what would you do? Now, this is funny because it's, it's a two-part thing. Mm-hmm. Speaking of your shirt, the first band is Zeppelin. I would love to have fronted Zeppelin. I know if I could have, didn't know if I have the talent, but boy. How much fun to be in that band. But I would like to have been in Def Leppard. Def Leppard came out right when I was coming up. And I, I, he's good. I don't think, God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I don't think he's the greatest singer. And of course he has vision and, and, but basically Mutt Lang came in and, you know, I would love to have been the guy going, all right, Mutt, what do I do? Yeah, yeah, tell me what to do because those records are so great. And that band seems like they had a lot of fun, even if there was problems with all the stuff that's happened. I'm a, I'm a big Def Leppard fan and I was always a wee bit jealous. Of so him. are you an early Def Leppard fan or a, or a all, late? All the way through to uh, even slang. Really? Yeah, even yeah. slang. Uh, but love Pyromania and Hysteria. But you got to understand those records came out when I was playing in bars and music. So they, it, it was, ah, I need to be there. They're doing it, you know? Right, right. So Zeppelin and Def Leppard singing. And Yeah, you would, you would front both bands. Yep. Okay, if not music, what would you be doing? Uh, I'd either write uh, fiction yeah. or I'd probably be a senator, run for the presidency. Be that guy. Oh, be that guy behind the desk that nobody knows. You know, some huge thing that everybody hates. Just the the huge conglomerate guy. That's <laughs> you're you're oppressed the flesh kind of politician. I, yeah, absolutely. All right. Fair enough. All right. So I'm going to give you uh, the opportunity to pick two. Give me two okay. of your Desert Island records, full albums. Okay. Out of order. Rod Stewart, produced by Andy Taylor just because the songs mean so much to me and it's a great rock and roll record. It was kind of like Rod's return to, to rock that has lost in you and forever young. And is it, is it self-titled? Yeah. Out of order. Rod Stewart, oh, out, out of, order. out of order. Okay. And it's probably gonna have to be a, a rock, probably toys in the attic. Really? That just, that record also just means so much to me and not a bad song on it. And, uh, Oh, but then there's live and dangerous, which is such a huge record for me. Thin Lizzy. So I don't know. It's going to be the first record would definitely be the Rod one. Second one, I'd have to choose between Toys in the Attic or uh, or uh, Live and Dangerous. Is Live and Dangerous, the double record. Double record with Brian Robertson, and it's Robbo's birthday today as we speak. You get extra material for your yep. Desert Island if you pick the double live. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's cool. Those are great choices. Right. I mean, uh, and and. People go back and forth between the the Toys in the Attic and the and the um, Rocks record, uh, but Toys in the Attic actually is uh, sort of sentimental to you, right? Yeah, yeah. I just remember hearing "Walk This Way" and thinking, "What is that?" Like I remember, and my dad brought bought me the record, and 
Well, you're going to be happy if those if you're fans of those, you're going to be happy tonight. And that's all I'll say. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think and I think that's kind of, you know, that's an interesting point, which is I think it comes back to that, which is so many people, you'll know, they'll argue over which record is better than this record. or And it doesn't matter whether it's Aerosmith or Def Leppard or Van Halen, whatever right. you say. But I think Van Halen won. But I think what makes our minds up for us are those little emotional connections, right? Uh, You may have come in uh, on, you know, Rod Stewart or uh, that particular Aerosmith record. So you're like rocks is or not rocks, but Toys in the Attic is what is important to me or what means something to me to some other kid. They may say something like, you know, Night, Night in the Ruts is my record. That's my Aerosmith record. Yeah. And as a fan, like sometimes I sit there and I go, God, how can this person be talking about Night in the Ruts over like Toys in the Attic? But that's, that's my opinion and my thought process. Whereas, you know, they're like, well, I, I didn't know anything about Toys in the Attic. I heard Rut, Night in the Ruts first. You know what I mean? So I think But I think, I think that... Having said that, and you are right, I do think, though, that there are things that are undeniable that anyone who's a true music fan knows. Uh, uh, you may not even be a Guns fan, but Appetite for Destruction, amazing. Uh, the first, uh, the Sammy Hagar, Montrose, the first Rochester, untouchable. A lot of that Queen stuff, Pyromanian, Hysteria, masterpieces. You may like one more, but there's things you just go, well, that Heaven and Hell, that record's just... It, they're just records. Uh, for me, it's if I'm not a Metallica fan, but Ride the Lightning, unbelievable, great record from start to finish. You know, but yeah, and I and I I agree a hundred percent with everything you just said. But there are people out there that are music fans that will say, um, you know. I've heard people say I don't like appetite for destruction in right. any way, shape, or form. But to you and I, we're like, how how can that even be? Not a bad song, not a bad li- yeah. Well, you, but you know, you're right because your whole thing growing up rock, it it is what is it to you? Yeah, you know what it, is it to you? It's just yeah. interesting. I'm not a psychiatrist. I just find it interesting sometimes the the psyche that that uh, centers around music, and and that's why I like to have these sit downs and discuss it with people because. Uh, I think as music fans, we like we just like talking rock and roll first and foremost. But second of all, is I like to try and get into people's heads and go, well, how how can you possibly like this over this, or how can you possibly, you know? But but I get it, so it's it's cool for me. Well, people give me slack, you know, about Angel or give me slack about uh, the babies. But you know, I was standing in front of the mirror trying to sing like Frank Domino. And, uh, or, or, you know, wearing my collars up with a skinny tie, like the babies, they had suits, but they kind of look rumpled. And I remember, you know, guys in school giving me, giving me about it. And, uh, and I would fight and get my ass whipped by these big jocks, but. And I, and I like the babies, but I tried angel and couldn't get into it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. It's definitely, it's like stars, angel. It's, it is what it is. UFO. People don't know UFO. Ah. And that band is so incredible. Oh, so yeah. much more than a metal band. So melodic and so great. Oh yeah. yeah. I love, love UFO. Yeah. Awesome. Mangus. Done. Appreciate you, man. I am looking forward to singing some of that stuff you talked about earlier tonight. I won't give it away. Um, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a discussion. I'm sure tonight, and we may even recap tonight's adventure. It's fine, fine. 
Uh, but yeah, looking looking forward. It's going to gonna be a good show. And if you're ever in Nashville, anybody come see. I sing for uh, Desolation Angels, a bad company. Uh, salute to Bad Company that Sandy Gennaro and Chris Venzen and Joe Bass and I have. It's a great band. Uh, we kind of put our own spin on Bad Company. Or I'm doing the residency, um, the rock and roll residency every Tuesday night at Mercy Lounge. Yeah, just uh, just find us, man. Look me up on Facebook and come out and hear some stuff. And noise pollution. Still noise out? pollution is a uh, kind of a, it happens every once in a while. That's Jason Mowry from Shania Twain's band. That's kind of his baby. And Adam Schoenfeld from um, Tim McGraw, the guitar player. Great talents. They put it together and we play every once in a while. I do Mangus, the Bon Scott ears with uh, my boys from the residency when they're not out with the old what's-his-name from Kiss, you know? Not out, not out crushing the world with him. Um, yeah, a lot of different things. Thank you, sir. Been my pleasure, brother. It's been awesome. Thank you. We'll talk at you later. Growing up rock. Peace. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. 
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.